Welcome to the Talking Tabletop Podcast, a collection of tabletop thoughts from a growing community of boy gamers. And I'm your host, Ryan, from the Mr. Rao Gaming YouTube channel. Welcome, everybody, to the Talking Tabletop Podcast. Yeah, as mentioned, I'm Ryan from the Mr. Rao Gaming YouTube channel, and I want to welcome everybody to the show, especially if this is your first time listening. We're, you know, four episodes deep now into 2024, and we are having a blast creating this show. What is the Talking Tabletop Podcast? Well, it is a podcast where a whole bunch of different board gamers are coming together and sharing their tabletop thoughts. Yeah, that could actually be a review, that could be what they've been playing lately, or just literally anything that is interesting to them in the board gaming and tabletop gaming hobby at this particular moment in time. And we have a whole bunch of really cool guests on here. Again, we have... Alex McKenzie, who is from the Meeple in the Moose. We have Brian Chandler from Colorblind Games once again. We have Danielle Chan from her YouTube channel, Danicha. We have Chris Barrows from the Tabletop Express YouTube channel. And of course, we got good friends. The Meeple Dungeon podcast themselves, Rob and Anna Marie, are joining us once again for the show. And they all have brought really cool segments this, you know, Valentine's Day, if you are celebrating it today, happy Valentine's Day to everybody and two-player game month. I guess it, I guess you could call it two-player game month if it's February, tight, right? Right. Well, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. If you are here just to listen to one particular content creator, well, stick around for everybody because they all have such unique perspectives around this board gaming hobby. All right, folks. I will see you at the end of the episode. Cheers and enjoy. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. And we are back recording uh, a segment for the Talking Tabletop podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd missed the last couple. So we're. We're back on track here, and we want to uh, hopefully uh, be in on this. Uh, Get our act together. Yeah, um, <laughs> as a as a usual participant, yes. right? So, um, we want to talk about a game for our segment today. What game is that, Anna Marie? That game is Mandela, um, designed by Trevor Benjamin and Brett J. Gilbert. Published or not published? Uh, art by Clemens Franz and published by hmm. Lookout Games. Yeah. I could have uh, just gone in a different order, but brain okay. didn't work that way. <laughs> um, yeah, Mandela. This is a game that we've both uh, been interested in for quite a while. It's a two-player game. It's an abstract game. And then we finally got a copy. This game came out in 2019. Yeah. Um, I've heard and, a lot about it. A yeah. A lot about it. Lot And all good things. Right. Yeah. And yeah. The, um, so this is an abstract game, a card laying game, kind of card collecting game. Yeah. Um, and the, the mandala is the word that uses to describe the it's mountain based... and the, the fields. fields and then the rivers beside yeah. them. And the idea of a mandala is just life, death and rebirth where you're laying out sand 
and then before you throw yeah. the sand into the river. <laughs> sure. It, uh, right? It just... Yeah. Yeah. But there is a... So there's a board, a main board in this game, and it's a big cloth mat, which is really, really... Um, pretty and nice yes. and it's but it doesn't it, it's supposed to represent the mountain rivers and and fields, fields but it's very very crazily abstract like what is the word kaleidoscope. You kaleidoscope that's right um like if you picture looking inside a kaleidoscope with all the weird colors and shapes moving around that's kind of what we're dealing with here as far as um yeah they look they artwork. look like all the cards look like just different snapshots yeah. as you turn a kaleidoscope so on the main board there's two big circles in the middle and they represent the two mountains and on either side of those, there's a field for each mountain on your side of the board. There's a field for each mountain on my side of the board. And then there's beyond that on the very edge of the board is the river. Yes. And you have a river and I have a river. Yes. And inside those areas are kind of like squares because these cards aren't your typical playing cards. They're uh, square yes. cards. And um, we're going to be laying out cards onto this board. So, so how does this game work? So the point of the game is throughout... Throughout the game, you're going to be building up the mandalas and then destroying them. So once you fill up a mountain and fields with each of the six colored cards. Right. Once that, there's a, one, at least one of each color played. Yeah. That means yeah. that mandala is now ready to be destroyed. So then you, you're going to divvy them up and hopefully score points for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then then you would start recreating another one. Yep. You would do another mandala, but there's another one in the works because there are two different mandalas going at the same time. So you keep doing that, um, building them up and then destroying, building and destroying, getting cards to gain points. Yep. And then the end game is going to be triggered either when you run out of cards or when um, somebody fills up the sixth slot of their river. Yeah. So in order to do all of this, we have so we have a hand of cards. Yes. And in we have eight cards to st start with? Not to start with, but <clears throat> once you can gather cards, you can never get more than eight. Okay, so you have a bunch of cards in your hand. And on your turn, you're going to do one of two things. Oh, well, three one things. One of three things, but, but yeah. Two main things you're going to do. You're going to play either one card into the mountain, which is that... Uh, uh, spot in the combined middle. Combined spot in the middle for yeah. both of us to play into. So you can both play into the yeah. mountain. Into either mountain. Yeah. Um, and each of us can play to the center of each mountain, one card. Yes. Or you can play to your own side of the field. Yes. As many of a certain color as you want, as long as that color is not already played in that mandala, whether it's on your side of, of the, the field. field or in the, in the middle of the mountain. Yeah. And that's all you're really doing. And then you're drawing extra cards and you're, you're drawing. Yeah. So you can, your hand. when you, if you build the mountain by putting one card in there, then you can redraw. So then you can draw up to three cards yeah. into your hand, keeping in mind, you can never go over eight. Yeah. And then you check to see if you completed a mandala. Yeah. And a mandala is complete when at least one of every color of card is in that particular mandala. Yeah. And, and once that happens, you will then see who has the most cards in a their field. Field. So on my side, so if we did the this right hand side mandala and we had one of every color somewhere inside here, we would look to see on my side how many cards I have in my field versus how many cards you have in your field. Yes. If I have the most cards in my field, I'm going to be able to select first from the uh, the cards in the in the mountain. The cards in the mountain. So you would take, you would select, and you would take all of the cards of one color in the mountain. Right. So let's say there were three red cards. You would take all three of those. 
Right. And I would be able to take one of those and put it into my first slot in my river, which is numbered one to six. Yes. And I'm going to take, say there was three, three red cards, like you said, I'd place one red card in the number one slot in my river and I take the other two and put them into my cup. It's just a little holding area for all the excess cards that you've collected. And you're going to be scoring points for these now. At the end of the game, every red card I gain from now till the end of the game is going to score me one point because I have the red card sitting in the one slot. Yes. So on further turns, say the next round, I I did the same scenario and I ended up getting blue cards. I would take... No blue one, cards. Let's say purple. Oh, so no blue. Uh, purple <laughs> cards. I'd take the purple card, one purple card, put it in my number two slot and yeah. all the excess purple cards into my cup. Yeah. And every purple card that I gain throughout the rest of the game is going to get me two points. Yes. And that's kind of what you're doing. And you're trying to fill up your river with these cards strategically. And that's all you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Any any cards left in your field when you uh, are destroying the mandala, those get discarded. Yep. And so only the cards that are in the mountain area are the ones that get scored for points. Yep. Um, so it's a very interesting balancing act mm -hmm. of do I play into the mountain? Do I play into the field? Uh, you know, what do I do? And do I need more cards in my hand? Because if I do, I need to play into the mountain. But is do I have the right cards to play into the, into these spots? Because yeah. now, now, like, you can't play a color that's already been played. So now you might be looking at the other Mandela on the other side, seeing yeah. does it work, make more sense to play on that side or this side, in my field or in one of the mountains. And maybe you can't play in either of them because of just the way the cards are drawn. So yep. then you do your third action and that's just discard. Yep. You, you, <laughs> Toss can, your hand. you can take one color and discard as many of that color as you have in your hand if you want. Yep. Say I had three reds. I would discard three reds and then I would pick up three new cards. Yep. And then the next turn, hopefully I could play something. Mm -hmm. And then once you have filled, the first person to fill their river ends the game. Or the cards run out. Or the cards run out. Yeah. But that's generally speaking, someone's going to fill their river. Yeah. And that ends the game. And then you calculate all all the cards that you have sitting in your cup versus what uh, level Their of point points that is, they yeah. are sitting at on your river. And that's it. Yep. And you count it up and you see whoever has the most points. It's it's a very simplistic game. Yep. But... Very simple, but there's a lot of oh strategy. Oh my goodness. And Trying to figure out what to play. Every time I, I play this, I think, okay, I got this and I'm going to keep my reds for over here and my oranges for over there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then I never get them. Yeah, I know. Or I get I get ones that I don't need. <laughs> I have a or... lot of luck in this game. Well, I like you're, it a lot. I think you're just better at it than me. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it's luck. I liked it a lot. I like this one a lot. Um, yeah. This was a game you were particularly interested yeah. in. And, uh, but yeah, I really, really did like I, it a lot. I do like it, even though I lose all the time. Yeah. I really like it. I'll figure it out one day. <laughs> so if you're looking for a cool two-player abstract uh, card game with mm -hmm. some strategy... Uh, two thumbs up for Mandala from us Absolutely. Here. So I think, um, what are we at here? Oh yeah, no, we got to get moving here. So we just wanted to say that we have our top 10 games of 2023 yes. episode out on the Meeple Dungeon podcast, as well as we're recording tomorrow, the top 10 most anticipated games of 2024 episode yes. for the Meeple Dungeon podcast with the special guests, Norm and Chris from Cardboard Conjecture podcast. So, so take a listen. We'll have yeah, that ready tomorrow that night. That should be or out in the Wednesday. next day or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be out probably the day after this episode. Oh yeah, uh, I guess this out. one isn't live. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just take a look for it. That'll be the next yeah. episode of the Meeple Dungeon podcast. So you can find us on the X app, the Meeple Dungeon, YouTube, the Meeple Dungeon, 
And if you'd like to contact us, thebeepledungeon at gmail.com. So we're going to run and we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. See ya. Hey everyone, it's Danielle. I run the YouTube channel called Denitra, where I focus on board gaming, specifically solo board gaming. So I do unboxings, playthroughs, tutorials, and the occasional live stream. So if you have not checked out my channel yet, feel free to do so. So my topic this week will be going over the board game that I played in January. Since the last time we had an episode was actually January 31st, so I have a roundup of games that I really liked and played in the past month of 2024. So looking at my BG stats, in January 2024, I played 197 games. And keep in mind, this actually includes games I played on Board Game Arena. I played 52 different games. 23 were new to me. And my H index was 7. So that means seven games were played at least seven times, and those were likely the BGA games. To focus on a few of the ones that I want to mention today, I'm going to be excluding any digital implementations. So the first one I'll be discussing is A Gentle Rain. So this one I played a lot. It's an easy game to pull out. It really is such a gorgeous and beautiful relaxing solo game. You're basically placing tiles out, matching the halves of the flowers on the tiles to another tile's halves. And then when you form a circle with four of the tiles, you bloom. And so the point of the game is to bloom all of the uh, lilies and then you'll score on how many tiles you have left in the stack. So that's just such a, a lovely game. Honestly, you would probably see that on every month's play. So if I if I do a roundup of February, I'll probably skip talking about it, but I did want to mention it. Raising Robots was my second most played game. And gosh, that was really, really fun. Solo was amazing and multiplayer was just as fun. That game kind of has a wingspan concept as most reviewers and content creators have been saying about the game. But I feel like it's, it's also very different. The resource management is top notch. Um, that mechanic is really well done in raising robots. And I felt like I, I don't know, like I was actually really building robots, like that there was a process. Wingspan doesn't really have that linear process. You could basically do anything that you want to do. But in raising robots, it was very specific what, which phases would be played on each round which I liked, I liked that. It required a lot of thinking and planning ahead. And also when you're using the AI, which you would use in both a solo and two player game, there's an element of surprise, I guess, but you can dwindle down the choices that they decide to play each turn because you get to see what they've already played on their previous turn. So I like that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of how Aeon's End fields with the turn order when you play against the bosses because the turn order cards if you know anything about Aeon's End um, you shuffle it between each round and you don't know who's going to go first or second or third and so I felt that Raising Robots was similar in that in that sense although people are comparing choosing the phases for each turn to be compared to um, what's it called Race for the Galaxy and Terraforming Mars Ares. Aries? I don't know if that's how you say it. 
Uh, that is my little summary about raising robots. I found that to be a very fun one. Healthy Heart Hospital is the third game that I played. And this one was actually sent to me as a review copy and I really liked it. I've never played the original because there is an original and the one I got was third edition. And it was really, really fun. It's a push your luck kind of dice game. And I did a few videos on it actually on my channel. So there's actually a playlist. If so, if you're interested in learning more about it, check it out. Overall, you're basically trying to save patients before they die. And if you end up killing five patients or more, depending on what special uh, actions you have in play that could increase your corpses. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of morbid, but basically you're able to increase how many patients could die before you lose the game. Overall, it's a very fun game. If you like push your luck games, I think this was this is the one for you. I play Tumbling Dice, which is more of a party game. It's not soloable. Although, I mean, you could probably play solo and try to beat your own score. I wouldn't stop you from doing that. But a very fun uh, party game. I played with seven players and it was just lots of fun, lots of laughing. Very competitive because the point of Tumbling Dice is that you're rolling or throwing or tossing your dice down some steps that give you multipliers depending on the value of your level that you land your dice on. So there's some dexterity on it. You can knock people off the board. You could make people's uh, values even higher or lower than it was when it first got tossed onto it. So lots of fun to be had with that one. All right, and the final game that I will mention is Splitter. This was a game that I was also sent to by um, the publisher and I really enjoyed it. It takes about five minutes to play solo, very quick. I mean, I guess it depends how fast you roll your dice. But for me, when I was playing solo, it was very fun. It is kind of a beat your own score. So if you're not into uh, beat your own score, you probably would not like this game. But I like the change in how you, how you play. This is a rolling right, you roll, you roll two dice and you have to use each of the dice values on your sheet, but your sheet is split down the middle. It's symmetrical. So you have to place your value of one die on the left side of it, and then the other value of the die to the right side of it in a very symmetrical way. And that really becomes a puzzle because you have to be able to score well with the dice you also roll. So if you roll a two and you roll a four, you have to decide which side is better to have that two or the four written down. Because when you score, you actually score on how many numbers you have of that value. And hopefully I said that correctly, but basically if you have a group of twos, you only score it if there's a pair of twos together. If there's three twos together, you don't score that. Another example is if you have a group of four fours that are adjacent to each other, they're connected and grouped together, you score four points for every group of those fours. So very interesting. I like that aspect of it. I think there's other games that have similar mechanics to that. I'm not really sure if there's a name for it, but basically depending on the value, that's how many people, how many dice you would use the values next to each other and then you'd, you'd get points according to that value. All right well I, I'll end my segment here. I hope you enjoy learning about these five games I played in January 2024. I look forward to what I'll be playing in this upcoming month. I have a lot on my table and shelf. Um, currently I have Wormspan which was a lot of fun so far and I have uh, Scholars of the South Tigris. I have Lawyer Up which I was sent a copy of. So 
lots of content coming on my channel. If you're interested in catching any of those videos, definitely check it out. Again, my channel is Danicha, D-A-N-I-C-H-A. And I'll see you guys next time on the Talking Tabletop Podcast. Bye. Hey, Mr. Al. Hi, everyone. This is Brian Chandler from ColorblindGames.com. And today I'm going to give a brief game review of a, a game that I've reviewed, did some small modifications of. There's a full review written on my website where you can see some images of this game. This is the Red Cathedral. It is a design by Israel Sendrero and Sheila Santos, published by Devere Games. It's a classic Euro, puts one to four players in the role of construction teams building St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. In the solo mode, you actually play yourself, one of the builders, and then you play against Ivan the Terrible. And it's a race. You're racing the Automa. We'll talk mostly about the solo mode there. But the way, the thing that makes this interesting, two things. One, it's in a very small box. So it is a, what I consider a full Euro experience in a very small box and also has a, a rondelle. So it's got dice that go around a, a rondelle that's part of the game and collecting resources you do by uh, moving these dice around and then re-rolling them. I found it fantastic. I think it's really fun. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Newton or really a lot of Euros. You could probably make any kind of Euro that is a race to build something faster than your opponent. Um, is, yeah, really just kind of hits the sweet spot there. So I've had a great time playing this. I just recently picked up the expansion called Contractors. Just barely kind of scratched the surface of that. There's a lot in that box as well. But it definitely expands the footprint a little bit if you add Contractors. If you don't, it's something that kind of fits on a little side table. Again, you can see a photo in my review that um, I can put that on my little side table desk here and just have it sitting there uh, in my office, which is nice. So I'll get through a game, 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour, depending if I'm playing it in uh, one sitting or not. One other little item I wanted to mention is on the accessibility side. In general, it does a really nice job double coding the components. The primary building materials are stone, wood, and brick. Those are both in different colors and different shapes. They're not just cubes. So it's easy for me to distinguish them from each other. There's also some uh, gems that are two different colors, but also shaped. The four player colors are in pretty good shape, um, except there is a red and green issue that I had. Um, I don't ever really play with the red and green player components of hardly any game. So um, that could be confusing if I ended up playing, you know, three, four or five players and needed to get to those parts. Um, but otherwise, I usually play yellow and maybe uh, yellow and blue is kind of my normal combo if I'm just picking two colors. But the dice are also five colors. So they are white, yellow, red, green, and blue. And generally speaking, everything was fine except that red and green. And so what I ended up doing is marking up everything that was green. Uh, something I've done over the years is anything that's green gets a, some kind of a horizontal or vertical line on it. And I did that with both the player components and also the green die. And then any reference to the green die also added some lines just on the edges of the die. Like some people wouldn't even probably see it or notice it if they weren't looking for it, but it provides me that just additional value I need. 
When the green and red are right next to each other, I can see them fine. But when I see them separate from one another, especially in lower light conditions, it's a, just a little bit harder for me to see. So making that one markup allowed me to uh, make it playable for me, or at least easier to play. So overall, Red Cathedral, fantastic. I consider it a, a game that punches above its weight class. It's a crunchy Euro experience in a small box. And yeah, something I would highly recommend if, if you haven't seen it before. Um, if, and if you haven't seen it and have any color vision issues, I would recommend checking out my website at colorblindgames.com. Um, otherwise, or really for everybody, I would recommend checking it out. Again, this is Brian Chandler and appreciate joining you today. Bye. Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleOnTheMoose.com, and I'm here to contribute to the Talking Tabletop podcast. I feel like this segment might be preaching to the choir, as I suspect the intersection of person who listens to board game podcasts and person who takes an active role in teaching and introducing new games is close to a circle. Regardless, it's something that's been on my mind lately, and for those of you who are who listen to this and aren't the primary games teacher, I hope you appreciate the person you have in your life for the role they fulfill. Firstly, my background. I am the primary rules teacher for my game group, and our usual cadence is that we meet on Wednesdays at one of our houses, we rotate who hosts for the evening, usually on Monday, the host will drop a couple game suggestions in the group chat, and then everyone will give their opinion on what they like to play, in addition to confirming their attendance. I'm usually the one who pulls up a rulebook to give it a read-through ahead of time, and then on game day, I generally take the rulebook from the box and give the abridged version to the group. If any questions come up, I usually know where to find them in the book, just due to the fact that I've read the book at least once, so I'll read the rule as written, and sometimes we'll debate the meaning of a rule. I don't always learn well from just reading a rulebook. In fact, I learn best when I have the game in front of me and I can move pieces as I talk through the rules. That's how I best internalize these systems, by doing. Over the years, I've gotten pretty good at teaching my friends how to play. One of the tricks I've learned that works well is to get everyone's hands on pieces during setup to keep them engaged. One person gets to shuffle cards, the next person sorts components, and the third person places tokens on the board, things like that. That said, by the time game night rolls around, I've generally spent at least 30 minutes to an hour researching the game and reading, reading the rules, even if it was just reading the book and looking at frequently asked questions and erratas that have been posted on BoardGameGeek. It's a hidden time cost, and one that doesn't always get recognized. Depending on the complexity of the game and the quality of the rulebook, Hansa Teutonica, I'm looking at you, that time can flex in either direction. Personally, I find it incredibly difficult when rulebooks have thematic names for all the different aspects that's only mentioned once at the start of the book and never again. Like, the first time I read the rule, for one action, a player may displace another player's trader from a house along a trade route, not from an office. To do so, he removes the other player's trader and replaces it with one, one of his own traders or merchant from his personal supply. However, the displacing player must pay a penalty by moving an additional trader or merchant from his personal supply back into his stock. I had to stop and just shake my head for a second. Now, that rule makes sense when you're actually playing Hansa Teutonica, but out of context, just as words on a page, it's really hard to make sense of it. Going a bit further, game teachers have an extra cognitive load to bear. In addition to playing their own game, developing their own strategy, they also end up being the arbiter of the rules, watching every other player's turns to make sure that no rules were missed. And if a rules question does come up, the teacher has to stop thinking about their game and pivot to looking to the specific question in the rulebook. 
Now the ugly part. With new games comes rule mistakes, and sometimes hurt feelings. I get an awful, sinking feeling in my gut when I teach a game one way, only to realize halfway through that we've made a critical error. Sometimes it comes up on a player's turn, and I get a, I didn't know that was a rule, or I wouldn't have done this if I had known that. I get it. It sucks when the wind is taking out of your sail because of a mistake. Thankfully, no one in my group gets really heated. We all know it's just a game. We'll debate how best to rectify the situation, either play out the rest of the game with the rules as we've been playing it, or undo turns to make the aggrieved party whole. Learning and teaching a new game is difficult. There's a lot of nuance that you don't always glean from just reading a rulebook, sentences that don't make sense when taking out a context of the gameplay. I recently had someone tell me a story of the time they taught a rule wrong at a public meetup, and one of the other players threw a fit and just left. The inspiration for this segment mostly comes from my recent Voidfall experience, where by the time we took the first turn, I had already invested like 6-8 to eight hours into unboxing, organizing, reboxing, learning, and setup. 6 hours of my time that I'm spending so that our group can have a better experience. In the end, all I'm trying to say is, if you have a game teacher in your life, say thanks. Acknowledge the effort they're putting forth for the group, and if they made a mistake, be lenient. And if you're not willing to be lenient, then take on the task of teaching games. Let's see you do better. And that's all for me today. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing me at meatballandthemoose.com, or you can search me out on Blue Sky. The invite-only requirement has been lifted, so you're free to join the site. Or not, your choice. Social media is a complex thing, and I understand that it's not everybody's bag. You can also catch me over at the Nerd Shelves Discord server. If you need an invite to that, just let me know. And if you want to read my board game reviews, they're all hosted on my blog, meatballandthemoose.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, Talking Tabletop Podcast. My name is Chris Barrows. I'm one of the conductors over at the Tabletop Express. And for this week's episode, I'm very excited to talk about one of my favorite games. And it seems appropriate because it's February, which is a great time for couples to do things together uh, and for friends to do things together and just pair up and hit a two-player game. And for me, that two-player game that I love more than any two-player game is a game by the name of Targi. Now, this game published by Cosmos, uh, Andre actually uh, was, Andreas, I should say, was actually on my show at its beginning uh, before we did all the live streams uh, for for board games themselves and call-in shows, but when it was just Creator's Corner. And it was one of my favorite experiences because what a delight to learn about this game straight from the man who designed it. And what many probably don't realize is it's on local shelves right around him. People are very well aware of his game in his community. And it's really a project that he put a lot of love and passion into. And he described, I remember when I talked to him, pitching this game out. And saying, if it doesn't sell, so be it. I, I love what I created, and I've created something that means something to me. Now, I'm so grateful this game got picked up. Cosmos, of course, publishing it, as I noted. Uh, artists, by the way, Tara Akatsu and Franz Vowinkel. Targi, however, is a grid-based game where you are going to have a modular board with an open drafting concept. The board is always going to have the same border, but the cards in the middle are going to change in every single game. 
and you've got three meeples and you're going to put a meeple on the outside on three different spots. And then you're going to have actually five meeples because there's going to have corresponding pieces that go in the middle to mark your additional cards. So you've got five cards at any given time that are happening. Now, as you're doing this, you're collecting cards. You're doing set collection all to create a tableau that's going to get you the most points. Now, the game is primarily won by these, these cards that you're going to spend the resources to pay for. But one of the most important resources in this game is gold, which can be hard to come by. If there's no gold in the middle of the table, there's only one spot where you can really get gold guaranteed. And there's another spot where you might be able to get gold, but you're pushing your luck because you don't know if you're going to get gold. You're, you're going to get a random card that has a resource on it or multiple resources. This game is one of those games that for me is perfectly designed. It is the highest rated game in my own collection. Uh, my personal rating, obviously, but this is one of those games that's different every time. Strategically, you can prepare for it, but you're never going to win every single time. So it, it brings that to the table. It's pretty simple to teach. I will note there's an expansion and the expansion is quite delightful, but the expansion almost makes it a different game. And I don't mind that. Not at all. It's a, it's a, it is a great game. Uh, but this is one of those games that has just meant more to me than any game. I mean, arguably the most important game to me ever was Scythe because Scythe brought me into the hobby in a big way. It, it really modernized my view on board games. But Targi is the one that last year became my number one board game, my favorite board game, period. And uh, yeah, this one uh, is is just a real delight. I will say the beautiful thing about this game is in the scoring, you're building these four rows, uh, three rows of four cards, and you're going to score more points when you get identical cards uh, at the end of the game or in, in a row, or if they're all different, you're going to also score some points, but the cards themselves have ways they score points. So really, if you're scoring over 40 points in this game, you've done very, very well, very well. Uh, a lot of the scores I, I will note in a high quality game, you you'll, you might be all competing in the 36 to 40 range in scores. But that's Targi. It is a love for me. You can I can gush over this game for a lot more than four and a half minutes, but I'm not going to. But that is a game that means the world to me in February. It's especially important because I like to talk about two player games in this month. I just encourage you to come over. Give us a like and a subscribe and come join us live for Call Aboard, our call-in show. I want to thank Mr. Rao, of course, for continuing to host this show, which has been a delight to be a part of. And with that, I say thank you for listening. Go out and play some great two-player games this month and uh, just share a good time with a dear friend, a partner, whoever it may be. Two-player games are a wonderful way to have a game hit the table at any given day and every given moment because all you need is one other person. Have a great night, everybody. Yeah. Have a great night, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, once again, for making this such a special and awesome podcast. I can't do it without you, folks. Your segments are awesome always so insightful so inspiring i just uh, I'd, I'd have a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes you folks are just so so amazing 
I'm Ryan from the Mr. Owl Gaming YouTube channel. And in the month of February here, I and my family here like to celebrate two-player game month. I believe the Talking Table, uh, Talking Table Top Express, the Tabletop Express gents like to call it Feb 2 Airy, where they like to focus on two-player games. And we do much the same around here. So I thought I would take a little bit of an opportunity here to kind of, you know, describe to you what I like and what makes a pretty darn good two-player game experience. What makes a two-player game experience is, well, a lot of people will focus on like the classics like checkers and chess and go. Very simple rule sets, sometimes pretty abstract, like the ones that I just mentioned, pretty abstract. So what we find is a lot of these two-player games that are coming out recently, have an abstract element to it and i like to refer to them as the quote-unquote chess-like games there's a few of them that come out every now and then and man they still end up being really really good and big hits in our household especially with me and my wife my wife being my main gamer partner player number two if you want to say it like that so abstract games do come into play quite frequently also the games that have a bit of a tug of war element to it uh, where one player is doing one thing and you know the other player has to weather leverage either try to gain some leverage on their own or give up some leverage to in order to maybe set themselves up for a better move later down the line that back and forth gameplay oh, ever so good ever so good and of course we're talking lots of these games that we find really play really really well have a have that player interaction but it's not like super mean it's not really like punch you in the face uh lock you in a phone booth and see who comes out alive type of player interaction but it's way more subtle uh very much you have to like the player interaction is you have to definitely be paying attention to what your opponent is doing so that you can hopefully maybe deny them some actions or deny them some abilities while at the same time leveraging yourself so there's that back and forth tug of war aspect again to it but you also have to be really paying attention to what your opponent is doing in their particular games now this month i am going to be coming out with a video a little bit later on i uh, still got a little bit of editing left to do on it but it will be coming out very shortly i have my top 10 two-player only games that was created also with my wife's input in in play too because you know i, I can't make a list i have a lot of two-player games that i really enjoy but that she doesn't enjoy as well so i thought we had to come up with a list of games that we both really enjoyed and kind of ranked them and then i kind of like you know averaged our rankings together to kind of really come up with a really good solid list and surprisingly um our top three games all ended up being our top three games it was really quite miraculous it made her make the list on her own and she came up with them on her own. so i'll share with you my top three games of two player only not games that are played two player but these are two player only games so i'll give you a little bit of sneak peek and then you can watch the video to see if you want to if, if you want to you know find out the rest of the other seven games that are on the top 10 list so without further ado number three on our list here is a little card game called Jaipur 
I believe that's how you pronounce it. It is designed by Sebastian Pachon, and it has a recent production, I believe, is done by Space Cowboys. Now, this is one of those great games of card collecting, your set collecting, or all these different jewels and gems, and eventually you're going to be playing them down. And as many of you can, as many as you can play down, you're going to be collecting these uh, chips that also give you extra bonus points based on the set size that you have come up with. And of course, there are lots of common cards that, you know, they're not worth as many points, but then there are like super rare cards in the game. I mean, if you can collect sets of those ones, they're going to be worth definitely way more points and there's a very interesting rules around how you can collect cards and you can trade cards there's these camel cards that are in there that you can trade the gems in with for camels or you're just trading other gems in for other gems and with eventually you're going to be coming out you're going and then rounds only last as long as there if there's um i think there is three gem piles left at then the current round is over you'll tally up your points and it is a best of three game you don't just play with one round no 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 you want to play the full game and get that best of three experience because man oh man how many times have we had it that it always has to go to that third game japur if you haven't checked it out definitely take a look at it it is one of our classics it's one of our staples if we just want to unwind for an evening that is one that comes out quite regularly our number two game of all uh two player game two player only games is designed by antoine bauza and bruno cathala and this is the spin on seven wonders and this is seven wonders duel we love seven wonders in this household except for the two player variant that came in the original box did not fire with us it was uh for lack of better words it was just terrible it was not enjoyable it has a third dummy player and there's it was it was garbage and then when they came out with this two player only dueling version where you are still um collecting and you're still drafting cards but it's kind of like a more of an open draft because there's kind of like these pyramid schemes of cards that you're going to be and some of them are revealed and some of them are not revealed and you're still going to be doing you're still collecting your same types of cards that you were in seven wonders you have to collect your resource cards so that you have the prerequisites to purchase other cards or you can be discarding cards just to get yourself some money you can use that money to pay for resources that you're missing it still has lots of classic seven wonder feeling but man did they capture a great two-player experience where you're really paying attention to what your opponent is collecting and trying not to let them collect that one card that's at the top of the pyramid. And, oh, my gosh, the way that I've drafted my cards, I don't think that I can stop them. And, of course, you can go through all three ages, and then whoever has the most points at the end of three ages wins. Or there's two other ways of winning the game. There's a tug of war of military strife going back and forth. The more military cards you collect, the farther you push the military token towards their side. And if it gets all the way to their side, you automatically win by military. Or are you going to go to the science route where if you collect, I believe it's seven, six or seven symbols, different symbols of science technology, you automatically win the game. So, wow, they, they, they captured a lot in this game. I highly recommend this one. It was it's a definitely another one and we've got the expansion content now for it too and 
it just adds another, those just add a whole nother layer to an already amazing game. And of course, our number one game has already been mentioned on this podcast. We cannot get enough. It's probably the game we've played the most of in our gaming collection. Chris Barrows of the Tabletop Express has already mentioned Targi as his one of his favorite games and his favorite game, two-player game of all time. It is also our favorite two-player game of all time. So I am not going to sing its praises any more than it's already done on this chat on this podcast if you have if you didn't listen to his segment definitely go back a little bit and listen to his segment i will reiterate everything that he has said about what makes this game so fantastic there is the set collecting but how you actually obtain the cards in this game by having to put your meeples around the edge and trying to come up with the intersection points of collecting the what you really, really want, but your opponent already went in that column or already went in that row, so there's no way impossible that you're going to be able to get that card. And now I have to pivot my strategy this round, and I have to wait, and I have to be careful of these certain, after certain rounds, I have to give up goods, and if I don't have them, then I'm going to lose points, and oh my god goodness gracious this one has everything you would want in a two-player experience and it's a little bit meatier it's it it doesn't overstay its welcome but it's a nice big game in a small box gives you i don't know it takes what 45 to 60 minutes and cards and it's just cards on a table but it provides you with a nice big board game experience but it's only meant for two players ah targi again chris barrows sound its praises i'm going to sing its praises definitely have to check it out the expansion is well well worth it once you've explored that base game enough and yeah all right folks i've been ryan of the mr l gaming youtube channel definitely check me out on youtube so give me a subscribe like those videos i go live every tuesday evening with some other videos being sprinkled along the way i'm active on facebook and instagram and threads and blue sky which is now open to the public i am at mr rao gaming on all of those if you would like to contribute as well to the talking tabletop podcast reach out to me at mr rao gaming at gmail.com and i'll get you with all the information that you need to in order to contribute to the podcast you do not need to be a content creator if you just have something that's on your mind and you want to share with the gaming community by all means Submit me a segment and we'll get you on the air. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is everything we have for you this week. Happy Valentine's Day if you decide to celebrate it. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks time. Cheers, everybody.